I want you to listen to these words about friendship from King David, a man after God's own heart. David said this, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. One of the great friendships as you read the Old Testament One of the best examples of what it looks like to be a faithful friend is seen between Jonathan and David. And David is here lamenting uh, Jonathan's death. And and he says something that, that I find amazing in verse 26. He says, my very, my brother Jonathan, very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. What would make David say such a thing about Jonathan? Men here this morning, do you have someone like this in your life? A friend that you would say, this friendship surpasses even the relationship that I have with my wife. Now, Some of you may say yes, because you have a wife that Proverbs talks about. That's a bit cantankerous. But this is King David, and, um, well, he had his pick, right? And, And yet this love that he had for his friend, he says, it surpassed the love of women. Because David had found a faithful friend. Last week, we looked at the importance of avoiding loneliness. God said from the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. And today, we are seeing the long-term effects of people being isolated. And I often remind people that the worst form of punishment that we have for a human being short of death is solitary confinement, right? When you're in prison and you've done the worst things, what we do is we put you in salt. We put you with yourself. That is, that is the worst punishment we can imagine is to put you with yourself in a room all alone. Many prisoners begin to lose their grip on reality. And yet, why is it that so many people put themselves in a position of voluntary confinement. They voluntarily isolate themselves from all the people around them in their lives. Sometimes even in the midst of a marriage, you will have one spouse begin to isolate themselves. Now, they're still there in the house. They they haven't left, but... But they have isolated themselves. They, they have sectioned off their heart, if you will. They choose to isolate themselves from everyone. But the book of Proverbs teaches us that you will not lead a wise life unless you are great at discovering, developing, and maintaining great friendships. Last week we started the series by looking at three ways not to be a friend. Hopefully you remember those, those ways. There was a fair weather friend. There was a negative friend. There was a rude friend. Instead of these three kinds, we ended up by saying that we needed to be faithful friends. And this week I want to look specifically at how we can discover a friend how we can develop a friendship, and how we can maintain great friendships. So if you're taking notes, that's kind of the three big headings this morning. We're going to look at how to discover a friend, 
how to develop a friendship and how to maintain great friendships. And for the purpose of this sermon, I think it's important that we define what a faithful friend is, right? All, all of us being on the same page will be helpful to us as we move forward in this journey of discovering, developing, and maintaining great friendships if we know what a great friendship looks like. And I want to suggest a very simple definition for you this morning. Very easy to remember. A faithful friend is the person that always lets you in and never lets you down. A faithful friend is a person that always lets you in and never lets you down. I'll unpack that definition as we go along. But first, in, in our sermon this morning, we are looking at how to discover, develop, and maintain great friendships. We, we first need to learn how to discover a faithful friend. And again, I want to go back to Proverbs 18.24. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This, this time, this week, I want you to notice, though, the comparison that the author is making. And the key words for that comparison are many and a. Right? There are many companions versus a friend. The author is trying to help us see that in this world, we are not likely to have nearly as many faithful friends as we will have companions and acquaintances. Those may be many, but the amount of faithful friends is going to be relatively small. And I'll explain why that is in just a minute. But friendship requires some kind of foundation. And this is why I say we have to discover a friendship. We can't make a friendship. We have to discover a friendship. Friendship requires a foundation, some, some kind of common affinity, a common love, or a common faith. But we have to have something in common. Some of you have gone to Gator games or Seminole games, and you went year after year, and you sat in the same seats year after year, and you begin to meet the people on either side of you. And you became friends because of the common love you had for your team, right? So you had this common love, you had the proximity of seeing them regularly, and you became friends. There's some kind of foundation, some kind of common thing between the two of you that can't be created. It can only be discovered, you would have never met those people. You would have never discovered those people if you didn't sit by them game after game, year after year, right? So, so there is this idea I need to, to really drive home this morning is that, that we can't create friendships. Some of you are here this morning like, oh, I don't have very many friends. I want to, how do I make, make friends? You, you can't create friendship. You have to discover friendship. David had such a friend in Jonathan. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 3. David had just finished defeating Goliath, and we read this. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, who was the king, the soul of Jonathan, which Jonathan is Saul's son, he is the heir to the throne, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, because of the perverse world that we live in, there are some who can only think of one reason for two men to love each other. I assure you, that is not what is happening here. And, and the reason I know that 
is because when you look at what caused them to be friends in the first place, what was it that Jonathan discovered that day that caused him to love David as his own soul? I think we find the answer to that a couple of chapters back in 1 Samuel 14, 1. In verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who, called his, who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Then we read in verses 6 through 15, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, Let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes that they had hidden themselves in. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. Let us show you a thing. One of the silliest lines in the Bible. (laughs) At that point, Jonathan knew he was going to win. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer killed them Killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about 20 men within, it, within, as it were, half of a furrow's length of an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became... It became a very great panic. Now, do you see why Jonathan had an instant affinity for David? These were mighty warriors, right? They were also men of action. They trusted God, right? Two guys against 20 But if God's on our side, that's all that matters. One little shepherd boy against a giant, but if the Lord is with me, who can stop me? Do do you see why there would be a natural affinity between these two? As soon as Jonathan sees this young shepherd boy swagger out onto the field, not because he thinks he's great, but because he thinks his God is great, and kills Goliath. I can only imagine Jonathan standing on that ledge when Goliath come out asking his father, let me go fight Goliath. Let me do it. But being his father and him being the heir to the throne, I'm sure Saul would have never allowed that. This is likely why Jonathan attacked the group of Philistines without doing what? Telling his dad, right? He's like, if I tell dad, he's going to be like, stay in the hole, son. Got to protect the the, the lineage. I got to protect the family. Saul was too cautious. Jonathan was a man of action. He was a mighty warrior who was ready for a fight. And then standing there next to his father, he watched David do what he probably deeply desired to do himself. And seeing David kill Goliath was the moment that Jonathan discovered a foundation upon which he could build a friendship with David. Friendship requires a foundation that can't be created. It can only be discovered. It was in that moment that Jonathan discovered that him and and David could be 
faithful friends. But just like the foundation for a house is not suitable for a family to live in, right? Nobody, you know, pours a foundation and says, okay, kids, this is where we're living now, right? It's important, but that's not enough. A foundation of a friendship, an affinity, a common love, or a common faith is not enough to develop or maintain a healthy, faithful friendship. But just like with a house, this foundation is absolutely essential to build a faithful friendship upon. David Brooks wrote in his book on friendship, Something I thought that was very helpful at this point. He says, ultimately, we don't need a common conversation. We need a common project. In a friendship, people don't sit around talking about their friendship. They do things together. Through common endeavor, people overcome difference to become friends. I think of so many people that I talked to who were in the military. And they find this desperate group of men that just are are brought in from all different areas all different backgrounds all different socioeconomic and they do something together and many of them will tell you they became brothers friends close as family because they had a common project a common goal that created the foundation for a faithful friendship c.s lewis puts it like this The unusual expression of opening a friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That that discovering a common idea, a common affinity, a common belief, that's the beginning of a friendship. One can have Romantic love and friendship with the same person. In some ways, a romantic relationship, though, is the furthest thing from a friendship. Because lovers are always talking to each other about their love for one another. Friends, in contrast, barely ever talk about the actual friendship itself. They don't talk about the relationship because they're too busy doing things together lovers if you will are face to face absorbed in one another friends are shoulder to shoulder absorbed in some common project some common affinity some common interest now this is the point that i'm trying to get across to you this morning when what makes a friend is not you walking up to someone and asking do you want to be my friend Friendship cannot, I repeat, cannot be created. It must be discovered. This is the lesson that some of you here this morning, or this is the reason that some of you here this morning have very few, if any, friends at all. As C.S. Lewis puts it very plainly and somewhat very and somewhat painfully. That's why I'm quoting him and I'm not saying it myself. Get mad at him. He says, this is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make many. The very condition for having friends is that you want something else besides friends. If a person asks you, do you agree with me about the same truth? And your honest answer is, I really don't care about that. I just want to be your friend then no friendship can arise because there would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And that's the reason why. So first of all, friendship has to be something that you discover. But let's keep going. Faithful friendship must not only be discovered, it must be developed. Again, the foundation is never enough. You've got to develop the friendship. This is the second part. But how do we develop a friendship that we have discovered? 
Let me first remind you of our working definition of a friend. A faithful friend is a person that always lets you in and never lets you down. The book of Proverbs says there are at least two things we must do to develop a faithful friend this morning. These two things are we must be dependable and thoughtful. Dependable and thoughtful. Back to our metaphor of a house for a moment. If the foundation of a friendship is common affinity, then being dependable and thoughtful are the walls of the house of the friendship. Now, first, what do I mean by dependable? Let's look at a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 17 and Proverbs 18, 24. We'll start with 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now, let's stop here for a moment. What does this verse mean? Do do you think it means that if you're a friend, you'll spend all your time together? No, because if you were here last week, you would remember that other proverb that we talked about, Proverbs 25, 17, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and he will hate you, right? So a friend isn't always with their friends, right? So when it says a friend loves at all times, it doesn't mean they're together all the time. That that can't be what it means. So instead of meaning you're together all the time, it means that a friend loves in all kinds of times. The good times, the bad times, when you're celebrating, when you're sad, when life is normal, when life is out of control and messy. In other words, you can't be a friend without availability. You can't be a friend without availability. Constant availability. That's part of what being dependable means, right? When you call them, they come. That's a dependable person. It means our friends can count on us to be there for them. But dependable doesn't just mean availability, right? There's a lot of subcontractors that are dependable. They show up, but they're not very good, right? It's not just being available. There's got to be more. It also means being there when things go south. And that's what Proverbs 18.24 is really about. Look carefully at this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Look at what the contrast is here in this verse. A man of many companions, we talked about this a minute ago, may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What this proverb is teaching us is that a friend will do everything in his power to keep us from ruin. Companions don't care. They don't stick close to us when life is going south. But friends do. I'm not going to go into it all, but last week we talked about being a fair weather friend. In other words, you're a friend when it's convenient for you. But the reality this morning is that most of the relationships you have are because people are useful to you. Or you are useful to them. And before you get all bent out of shape, I mean, that's just the way most relationships are. And there's lots of ways to be useful to a person. Some are useful because of a skill they possess. I know for years I was a useful friend to a lot of people because I could fix their computer. And they would call me, hey, my computer's messed up. Some of you are friends because you are skilled at replacing a toilet. It's a good friend to have, especially when your toilet's broken. Some people are useful for having a good time with. Some people are useful for networking and meeting other people. But the issue with only having or being a friend that is useful is whenever you cease to be useful, those companions will cease to be around you. When your life starts getting messy and complicated, they will abandon you for someone who is more 
useful. Some of you are here this morning, and you've experienced this, I'm sure. There were people that you thought were your friends. But when you were no longer useful to them, you no longer provided something that they wanted, then they disappeared. Some of you have been in that moment when your life was falling apart. And that is when your companions disappeared on you. But your true friends were there. Because a friend has deliberately made you not a means to an end, but an end in yourself. Let me say that again. A friend has deliberately made you not a means to an end. In other words, you're not just useful to them to get something. But you are an end in and of yourself. Being your friend is the end. The enjoyment that they are getting. A friend says, I'll do whatever it takes to keep you from falling into ruin. I won't let you go to the bottom of the pit. I'm not going to give up on you. I'll be there. Even if it costs me something, I'll be there. That's what it means to be dependable. That is a faithful friend. A fair weather friend, of course, is the opposite of that and isn't a friend. But not only do we need to be dependable, we also need to be thoughtful this morning. Again, I want to look at a couple of verses we looked at last week, but ask a different question of these two verses. In Proverbs twenty-six eighteen through 19, It says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Proverbs 27, 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Now, here's the the questions I want to ask this morning that I didn't ask last week. Why would a man try to deceive his neighbor and say, he was only joking when he heard it when he hurts him. And, and why would a person loudly bless his friend early in the morning only for it to feel like cursing? Well, I would argue that both cases, the person is being thoughtless. This is a thoughtless person. They are unable or too selfish to be empathetic with another person. In other words, I don't know you well enough to know when my words are hurting you. I can't be bothered to waste time getting to know you and your situation. I'm just going to speak whatever I feel like speaking. And if you get mad or upset, I'm going to go, well, I was just joking. That's a thoughtless person. Sadly, I see this happen so many times, even within the church family. Maybe it's a mother complaining about their kids to a woman who would give anything to have a child of her own. Parents of a healthy kid complaining because they haven't had a kid-free vacation with their spouse in months to a parent with a kid with a disability that haven't had a kid-free vacation from the moment that child was born. Men complaining about their wives to a single or widowed man that would give just about anything to have one more day with his late wife. Thoughtless people. This is a person that is so self-absorbed that they assume because they are a morning person, everyone must be a morning person. Because I just naturally get up when the birds do. I'm, everybody else should too because that's what I do. Therefore, that's the right way. Not understanding that God made half of us night owls. And so you come blessing me first thing in the morning. Well, he also made me a hard sleeper. So it's not going to bother me. But you're not going to bless me. Look at, look at one other proverb that we didn't look at last week, but I think this really drives home this idea. 
Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Proverbs 25, 20. Now that, what, that, that singing songs to a heavy heart, the word song there specifically means a song of joy. And, and again, you, you can see the emotional disconnection, right? I, I can be happy when you're sad. I can sing happy songs when you are miserable and with a heavy heart. If you can be happy when they are sad, you are not their friend. Why? Because whether or not you want to, friends are emotionally connected to one another. Faithful friends are. You can't sing songs when their hearts are heavy. It just can't happen. This is what is both terrifying and amazing about friendship. In friendship, you give the gift of a thoughtful, emotional connection to another person voluntarily. This is how you can tell whether you're, you've let that person become your friend or if you are really a friend to that person. You can't go about singing songs when they are heavy hearted. You can't go about your life when their life is collapsing. But you see, for a friend to do that, and that's, that's an amazing voluntary gift. There is also a cost to us, right? We are going to feel their pain. We are going to suffer with them. I often say of the marriage relationship during wedding ceremonies that because these two are joined together, their joys are doubled and their sorrows are halved. And in friendship, we, we experience that, that suffering of our friends with them when they are suffering. And because of that, we can't go singing songs joyfully while they are suffering. A thoughtful friend gives that emotional connection as a gift to their friend. And as a result, a faithful friend is unbelievably thoughtful to you. They know how you're feeling. They know your desires. And this, this helps them move beyond making you useful to themselves. Instead, they want to see you grow and achieve the desires that you have because part of them cannot grow unless you grow as well. To develop, to, to develop a faithful friendship, we have to be dependable and thoughtful. But let's now turn to how we can maintain a faithful friendship. Again, I want to look at two essential elements of maintaining a faithful friendship. Let me return one more time to the metaphor of a house. Discovery of a common affinity, lays a foundation. The walls are created by being both dependable and thoughtful. And once you have those walls built, then you can begin to build a roof that protects the friendship from the elements. And that comes from our earnest counsel. And I get this term from Proverbs 27, 9. Proverbs 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So what do I mean by earnest counsel? Well, let's start by breaking up these two words, and let's look at them individually. The, the word earnest means showing sincere or intense conviction. The, the, the sweetness of a friend who gives passionate, not disinterested counsel. 
These words of counsel coming from someone that is dependable and thoughtful, this proverb says, is like honey on the tongue of a friend. But let's back up a couple of verses in Proverbs 27 and look at a few verses that I think will help us understand what it means to be earnest. In verse 5 of Proverbs 27, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now Solomon is, is juxtaposing the paradoxical ideas, two paradoxical ideas in this, these verses. He's, he's comparing kisses that wound with friendly wounds. Well, what are friendly wounds? A friendly wound is a kind of a symbolic way one commentator wrote of describing the words a friend needs to hear even though they may be painful. But despite this discomfort, the words are necessary for the friend to hear. If you hesitate to express what truly needs to be said, you're not acting as a faithful friend. Now, to understand this proverb, you've got to understand a little bit about Hebrew poetry, and I'm not going to go into too much depth here, but two things are being compared here. It's called parallelism. We look at this by looking at verse 5. The second clause talks about hidden love, and you see that. This is a metaphor the author uses for a person that thinks they are being loving by hiding the truth. Have you ever heard someone say they, they can't confront their friend because they love them too much? Maybe that's something you've said or thought as a person. You think you love them so much that you just you can't bear to tell them the truth. But notice what the author compares that to in verse 6. Hidden love is like profuse kisses from an enemy in verse 6. Because if you say, I love my friend too much to tell him the truth, what you really mean is, I love myself too much to go through that discomfort. And the reality is, you're not being a faithful friend. Now, because this isn't my first rodeo, And I know how some people just love to use these verses to justify being rude friends, like I talked about last week. Let me give you two words of warning this morning. Before you go back to your small group, locked and loaded, to be ready to shoot everyone with the truth as you see it. First, this concept of earnestly telling the truth comes in the maintaining phase of the relationship. The maintaining phase. Not the developing phase, the maintaining phase. This means there is an assumption that you have been already dependable and thoughtful for a period of time. Right? It's hard to tell if someone is going to be dependable after only one week. Right? That, that takes a little bit of time to see, okay, I can trust this person. They are dependable. I can trust this person. They are thoughtful. The mistake I've sadly seen so many times in churches is that because two people have the common affinity of the gospel, one, typically the one that's been the Christian the longest or perceives themselves being the more mature Christian, takes it upon themselves to become the painful truth teller without first being dependable and thoughtful. And this has led to so many people leaving the church altogether or leaving a particular church or a particular small group. Or at the very least, it's caused the people to stop being around that person. Some of you may be here this morning because that happened to you at your last church. Some of us here have been guilty of being that person. Some of you have maybe just realized why people don't like to be around you. You tell yourself it is because they can't handle the truth when in reality it's because you have failed to be dependable and thoughtful. Now at this point you may be asking, how can I tell the difference? This leads me to my second word of caution. 
there's a direct connection between being earnest and being thoughtful. The earnestness of telling the truth is tempered by the thoughtfulness or empathy of being so emotionally connected that painful words you have to tell them also creates pain in you. This is the reason why it's so hard to be a friend. You can either be thoughtful only and just shut up, or you can be earnest only and not really care. Both of these ways are painful. But to be a constant, to, to be a friend is, is constant pain. That, that's why we can't have too many friends. Because, because you, you have to be thoughtful and earnest and dependable. If your earnest words to your friends aren't hurting you as you share them, then keep them to yourself. And this brings me to the final word, counsel, of the two, earnest and counsel. Let's go back to Proverbs 27, 9. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now, the word counsel means to confide in someone. But what, what is he talking about here? That this is something that only a really close friend can do. And we desperately need it this morning in our lives. You are never going to become the person that God wants you to be without it. Now, there are two aspects of this kind of counsel. First, verse 9 tells us that it is sweet or pleasant. In other words, the counsel, in a sense, is reassuring to us. Whatever it is that, that, that our brother or our friend has to say to us, it, it, it is sweet and it is reassuring to us. But second, as we talked about last week in verse 17 of that same chapter, iron sharpens iron, the one man sharpens another. Both of these characteristics are essential to it being the kind of counsel that the Bible commands. In a friendship characterized by reliability, thoughtfulness, honesty, transparent conversations about crucial matters of life, if your advice is, con is consistently positive and sweet, this indicates a form of emotional exploitation. Likewise, in a friendship characterized by reliability, thoughtfulness, honesty, transparent discussions about important life matters, if your advice is constantly challenging and harsh, this indicates a form of emotional exploitation. You see what I'm saying there? If your counsel is always sweet, somebody's being emotionally manipulated. If your counsel is always harsh and challenging, somebody is being emotionally manipulated. Somebody is using somebody. Or perhaps, and I've seen this a lot, you're both using each other. It is only when you have a balance of both of these characteristics that you can have the kind of counsel we need. It's only when you can give a balance of both that you are giving the kind of counsel that your friend desperately needs. Some of you may say, but, but I don't have that kind of wisdom, right? Wis wisdom is being able to discern what you need to do today. Well, first, I would encourage you, the whole book of Proverbs is a book about giving you wisdom. But I would also encourage you to do what I do every time I sit down with someone to give them counsel. Ask God for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If, if you don't know how to respond in a particular situation, ask God to help you. But this morning, as you think about your counsel, as you think about your life, is it constant criticism or constant sweetness? If it's either of those two, I would challenge you, you're not being the kind of friend that God wants you to be. And our goal of being a faithful friend 
that always lets you in and never lets you down. We've explored the elements necessary to build a house of friendship. We, we first looked at the discovery of a common affinity that lays the foundation of a friendship. Second, we looked at the walls of the house we needed to build to develop the friendship so that finally the roof of the house could rest on those walls of dependability and thoughtfulness to protect and maintain the friendship. And that roof was made up of our earnest counsel. Just like building a house, this is hard and painful work and it takes time. But just like building anything, it's also rewarding. Now, before you leave this morning, I want to address something that I heard several of you say to me this week after the first message on friendship. And that was many of you desired having the kind of faithful friend that I talked about. And that desire is in many of us this morning, I'm sure, as we've gone through in even greater detail of what a faithful friend looks like. It's like, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had someone like that in my life. But the reality is we live in a culture that doesn't value friendships. We live in a culture where we don't have all the friends that our hearts need. But I think we have to be honest this morning that one of the reasons that we don't have the friends our heart desperately needs is because we aren't the friends we should be. Before we leave here blaming everybody else for not being our friends, we need to take a look at ourselves and realize that we are not being the kind of friends that we need to be. The main reason we don't have people who are giving us these things is because we are not giving these things to others. Because let's face it, guys, this is hard. This is not easy. It's so hard. Remember the definition of a friend. A friend always lets you in and never lets you down. That's a faithful friend, right? How easy is it for you to really let people in to your life? How easy is it for you to give the gift of thoughtfulness, an emotional connection? If we're honest, and I think most people would say, we're afraid to do that. We're afraid of what other people are going to think if we get honest. And because we're not good at giving, we're not getting it. A faithful friend always lets you in and never lets you down. How are you being that kind of friend this morning? How do, how do, we, even, how do we even get the power to be that kind of friend? Like, Where do we get the energy we need to be that kind of friend that always lets you in and never lets you down. I want to challenge you this morning. The answer can be found in an interesting text in the New Testament in John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. It says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus reframes the entire story of the Bible in these verses in terms of friendship. Everything that God has been doing into the concept of friendship. And this really shouldn't surprise us if we've read our Bibles. Because this is why we were created in the first place. To be friends with God. Adam and Eve walked with God just as two friends might walk side by side today. The Lord spoke to Abraham as a friend speaks to another friend to his face. This is also true because we are made in the image of God. God exists in an eternal friendship we call the Trinity. And we are made in His image. Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack this idea of what it means to be a friend to the triune God. 
But we turn down his friendship in the garden. And what happens when a friend betrays you? What do you do? You cut them off. That's it. I'm done with you. No more. But Jesus, notice what he says he's doing in verse 15, in John 15. He's declaring, I am the unparalleled companion who loves unconditionally. I am the one destined to stand by you in times of adversity, even at the immeasurable cost of myself to prevent you from your ruin. And this is how I embody the ultimate friendship, where my wounds signify the wounds born out of love. Instead of causing those wounds, the Bible teaches us that he bared them. Blessed are the wounds inflicted by a friend, it says. How much more blessed are they when they are not imposed, but instead willingly accepted for us? Jesus on the cross sacrificed his friendship with God so that we could gain friendship with God. Jesus is a friend that has proven he will always, always, always let you in. I'm not sure how one could be more emotionally open than Jesus. Look at his arms nailed open for you. How much more open can he be for you this morning? Jesus is the faithful friend that always lets you in and never lets you down. Now, if you believe that this morning, then that will empower you to be the faithful friend you need to be. If I believe that Jesus has let, me be, has let me all the way in, if I believe that he trusts me, if I believe that he loves me no matter what, then I can extend myself to others without being afraid of rejection. If I believe that Jesus will never let me down, then I can extend myself to others, never being afraid of being let down because all my hope is not in human friendships. It is then and only then that I will get the friends that I need to have in this life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son.